and welcome to the Movie Musing Show. I'm your host, MK, and for this episode, I'm going to be diving into the amazing world of John Wick, a movie that set a new standard for action films and became a cult favorite, kickstarting a whole franchise that so far has spanned three films. So for the sake of this episode, I'll be getting into the first film, the second film, and a little bit of the third film, but mainly the first two. So if you're one of those people who hasn't gotten around to watching the first two or all three of the films, I would strongly suggest for you to return back to this podcast after you've seen them, just in case I don't end up spoiling anything for you. Even though on this episode, I'll mainly be focusing on less of the scenes itself and more of the movie making process. So I'll be taking you behind the scenes a little bit. But just in case, it's always good to be familiar with the movie so that you can enjoy my podcast to its fullest. Okay, so before I even get into the whole franchise, there's a lot to chew on in this episode. So get ready for a lot of information headed your way. But I have to talk about Keanu Reeves. He's practically a movie legend. He's had so many comebacks in his very long career. He's worked on indie movies. He's worked on big studio films. And he has this habit of taking long breaks. So his career is not very linear. There's a lot of ups and downs. But this one, I think it's his most massive comeback to date with the John Wick series. And the series itself wouldn't exist without him. I mean, he's the one who received the script to the first film. He's the one who got the directors involved. It wouldn't even be called John Wick if it weren't for him, which I'll also be getting into throughout this episode. I mean, anyone who's seen even a glimpse, like a scene or two of the first movie or the second or the third, I think you can tell that he trained a lot for this role. I mean, he's like 50 years old or around 50, I believe. So it's it's just very impressive that he took this much time and dedication to make this perfect. And even the, the director and co-writer of the movies, Chad Stahelski, pointed this out. He said that, and I quote, whatever success John Wick had, it couldn't have been that way without Keanu. He's a workhorse. We have one of the largest stunt companies on the planet. We train everyone from the Marvel world, the DC world, the Bourne world, everybody. And this guy just won't stay down. He's got this determination, which is rare. Even in the stunt community, it's rare. For a professional athlete, it's rare. He just commits fully. I don't know how he's still standing, actually. Now, this, these are words coming from a professional athlete, a stunt choreographer and performer with a stunt with one of the best stunt companies in the world. So this just shows how much Keanu Reeves trained for this role. And I'm so glad he did too, because it just wouldn't be the same without him. I mean, it's not just the fighting itself. It's also the, the gun reloads that he does. So it seems simple, right? Like just reload the gun, but it's, 
actually isn't simple. And he uses multiple sorts of weapons too. So it's all on screen and you see that it's Keanu Reeves doing it. So there's like long spanning shots, which are one shot and he'd be reloading on screen and it's realistic. It takes time. And I also love this other thing that I noticed about the films and the fighting style is that sometimes he'd be shooting until it's empty and then he'd just like chuck the gun at one of the people he was fighting, like one of the guys he was fighting, and then he'd just take someone else's gun and then deal with the other people. So it's very fluid and it's a dance sequence in a way, which is just beautiful to watch. Never thought that people getting murdered would be this nice to watch, but it really is. That's part of the major appeal of these films. Another thing is that these films were a derivative or heavily inspired by another legendary franchise known as The Matrix. There's so much history attached to the John Wick series that stems from The Matrix that I just had to talk about it. To start off, Chad Stahelski, the director of the John Wick films, was actually a stunt performer who actually worked with the Wachowskis for a decade. He was the stunt performer who doubled for Keanu Reeves in the role of Neo. So he did a lot of his own stunts, but the ones that he didn't or couldn't do, that was Chad Stahelski stepping in to do those. Chad Stahelski has said multiple times on multiple occasions that without working with the Wachowskis, he would never have learned how to make an action film or how to make a film, period. The Wachowskis really taught him how to create action films that were just as good, if not any better, than non-action films. Because usually they're not that serious, they're not that deep, and it's mostly jump cuts and doubles, stunt doubles used in every scene rather than seeing the actual actors act out the stunt work and have the action scenes flow into the drama and vice versa. If you've seen the trilogy, I bet you know that The Matrix revolutionized action films back in 99 when it came out. And I feel like John Wick did that, sort of carried the torch that the Wachowskis lit up in 2014 elevating the action film genre even more. In a lot of ways, the Matrix trilogy seems to be almost interwoven into the heart of John Wick. Even some of the cast crossed over. The actor that played the Doctor in the John Wick series famously played the Keymaker in the Matrix series. And if you've seen John Wick Chapter 2, you just can't escape Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King and he, of course, iconically played Morpheus in the Matrix movies. The way I see it, not only did the Wachowskis switch up the game for action and stunt work, but they also switched it up for movies in general. The world building, the visuals, the storytelling, everything was just on point. And even though John Wick has a different vibe and a different storyline, it still carried on. It still shares that cohesiveness and that world building in its own way. 
staying on the topic of world building and storytelling, I gotta mention the Greek mythology references that were just scattered all over the John Wick series. One of these examples that I picked up was the scene in the first chapter in which John Wick, on his way to returning to his former life, thanks to the Russian mobsters who rob him of his car and kill his dog, he digs up this box in his basement that he previously buried when he was retiring. He opens this box up to reveal these gold coins. He then proceeds to go to this hotel in Manhattan called the Continental. And this scene, like this is not related to Greek mythology, but I have to mention that was such a badass scene. Just him rolling up to the Continental and getting out. And there was like this Marilyn Manson song that was playing in the background. And it was just, it was pretty cool. Not gonna lie. So just side note, that was a cool scene. So he gets to the hotel. He uses these coins to pay the concierge who off screen is called Sharon or Charon, two ways to pronounce the name, who then grants him access to this underground jazz club. Love the vibe of this place, by the way. There was a whole jazz band and everything. And this is where John Wick meets Winston, who seems to be the owner of this Continental Hotel and also the head of this operation, the underground operation that John Wick works for. So all of these character names that I was mentioning, they all have a connection to Greek mythology. And also the context of the scene also stems from Greek mythology. So in Greek mythology, when a person died, a coin was placed over their lips. And when their spirit would pass on to the afterlife, which laid along the river Styx, they would wake up with the coin still present over their mouth. And they would then use this coin to pay this ferryman who went by the name none other than Sharon, who would then take them across the river and into the underworld to meet the ruler of the underworld, Hades. So the Continental Hotel sort of represents the underworld with Winston standing in for Hades and the ferryman as the concierge. Another connection that I spotted, I just love these Greek mythology references, even though I'm not an expert on them. The high table, this ruling body of the underworld that is in the movies, it comprises of 12 members. This to me seems like it's a reference to the 12 Olympians in Greek mythology, which comprises of Zeus, Athena, Poseidon, and many, many more. But what's interesting to me, what stood out to me, is that Hades was not a part of the 12 Olympians, just like Winston is not a part or not explicitly shown to be a part of the high table. So I mentioned New York City earlier when I talked about the Continental Hotel in Manhattan. So Chad Stahelski said that he picked New York City as John Wick's home because he thinks it has, he thinks the city has this underground 80s kind of vibe. And that when you're on street level, 
because of all the high-rise buildings and the general depth of the city, it sort of feels like the underworld. So that's sort of the inspiration behind John Wick's home being New York City. And in turn, the Continental, the main Continental, being placed in Manhattan. I love New York City, and I can definitely see why he would pick it for this film. I also love how the movies are blue-toned, so it gives off this sleek corporate feeling, which I think perfectly matches John Wick and most of the other characters in the films. Also, I loved all the suits that John Wick had on, and it was more than just aesthetically pleasing, because as I found out, the costume designer, Luca Mosca, made more than 50 suits for John Wick. And they were tailored to meet specific needs of different stunts that he has to perform throughout the series. So some of them had excess fabric or padding. They were also bloodied and cut to keep up with John Wick's constantly altering physical state as he advanced through the seemingly nonstop fight scenes that we all love. The coloring of the suits was also fit to adapt to the color schemes in the sets because as you can tell, it's a beautiful film to watch. So the visuals and the symmetry and the colors, everything has to come into play and his suits had to follow suit, pun intended. So they would use charcoal instead of black sometimes just to have John Wick sort of blend in and stand out relative to the set around him. All right, so now coming on to some specific moments that I enjoyed from the films. I know it's like a very vague, miscellaneous kind of category, but I'm just going to go with it because <laughs> I, I just got to talk about some of these scenes. They're great. So the first one has to be the little cute puppy, Daisy, which is just this tiny little beagle, so adorable that it totally justifies all of the people that John Wick kills throughout the series. I mean, if you hurt this little cute puppy, you deserve a pencil in the face. There's just no other way around it. And I love how everyone sort of agrees on this. It's like this unspoken thing. It's just something we're all on the same page with, which is just awesome. But outside of the context of these movies sounds outrageous. Like, did he really kill, I don't know how many people, I think it's in over a hundred in just like the first film alone. So like all three films combined must have been crazy. But like, how does, how, how does someone kill all these people just for a dog? But if you've seen it, which I hope you have this far into the episode, you know just how cute this puppy was. So it just makes sense. It sucks that this isn't a YouTube video and I can't really remind you how adorable Daisy was, but I'm sure it's burned into your memory anyways. The second scene that I really, really loved was the noise complaint scene, or as I like to call it, the noise complaint scene. It's when John Wick has his first big fight in the first film. So he's like getting ready and he's gearing up to get back in the game after he's been out of it for so, so long, what seems to be so long. So he just murders so many people and then 
he sees like these this red and blue flashes of red and blue from his door and he walks up to it to find two police officers on the other side of it and this is just incredible because the police officer that speaks to John Wick is just I bet he like you can immediately tell you can almost tell that he knows who John Wick truly is and what exactly is happening in the house because he just regards him with such respect as well as fear mingled in together that you can't decipher which is which but it's just so interesting how he regards him and then he says something like hi john you were working again and it sounds it's it's just hilarious because you just know he's freaking out on the inside and his partner doesn't even speak i think i think it raises a question that is the police in on it or are they just turning their heads and not interfering with the assassin world's business so that's not explicitly answered it's very ambiguous but i like to think that this particular police officer i think he knows a bit more than he lets on so that was really funny and the fact that it's i called it a noise complaint scene because these police officers were called in by john's neighbors because of all the noise of like, I don't know, 20 people getting shot at or whatever was the case. The third thing that I really, really loved was just the character of Winston, really. I love excommunicado, like the term and the way Winston says this to John Wick a few times in the course of these three films. And I hope he says it again in the upcoming movies because I just, I just absolutely love it. I don't know why. Something about this line is just so cool and iconic. The third thing that I liked, or is it the fourth now? I think it's the fourth. I'm losing count here, but bear with me. People dying with a pencil. John Wick using a pencil, wielding a pencil instead of a gun or like any other plausible weapon is just something that is, it's just something people remember and people pick out from these movies. So it's not just the fact that when John Wick is being kind of introduced in the first film, Michael Nyquist's character, the badass um, Russian mobster whose son messes up John Wick's life, when he's finding out that his son robbed John Wick's car, robbed John Wick, and killed his dog, the first thing that he says is he killed someone with a pencil. So that sort of sets the tone for the whole thing, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just some guy who kills people. No, he killed someone with a pencil. You know, like it's just the work speaks for itself. But the thing that I find even more interesting than the reoccurring, reoccurring pencil thing, because he goes on to kill people on screen, as the first film was off screen, it was just mentioned, but and thrown out there as sort of this outrageous thing. It's like the guy was flexing on behalf of John Wick. I don't know how that works, but it just, it was great. In the second film, he actually shows off his pencil killing skills and he kills these two guys um, with a pencil. So the thing that's really interesting about it, in my opinion, is that the, the story behind it, how it came to be. So Chad Stahelski said that this pencil thing was a joke. He was training or working on this scene with his stunt people. And this one stunt guy was like so tired, he fell asleep. He like dozed off in the middle of it or something. And Chastahelski said he got so frustrated <laughs> that he just poked him with a pencil, like wake up. And that sort of, you know, became a thing. And that sort of, I guess, popped up when they were writing it and they just decided to include it. So with the added context, that just makes it much more, like just a bit more, like all the more awesome. 
in my opinion. And then this fifth scene, I guess now, I'm trying to count it in my head, trying to do a head count. This fifth scene is just so good that I actually have to include like an audio clip of it. It just, you have to hear it once again. I'm sure you remember it, but I'm just going to throw it in here to properly address it as it deserves to be. Just a dog. Beagle. When Ellen died, I lost everything until that dog arrived on my doorstep, a final gift for my wife. In that moment, I received some semblance of hope, an opportunity to grieve on alone. And your son took that from me. Stole that from me. Kill that from me! People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. So you can either hand over your yeah. son, or you can die screaming alongside him! John Wick finally gets to talk <laughs> a lot in this scene. He's been super stoic and to the point and quiet for the rest of the film. I mean, he's busy killing people usually, so there's not much talking being done. And in this one, he just unleashes this anger and grief of what's happened to him earlier. So he really, he's, it's basically a super badass moment to say the least. And it's not just Keanu Reeves who kills it in this scene, but also um, Michael Nyquist, who sadly passed away a few years after making this film, he also is just the perfect actor to play off of Keanu Reeves' this big John Wick moment. I think the best thing about this scene is that he's actually as scary as people make him out to be, because otherwise, when he's not killing people, he's pretty much chill, quiet but chill. And now, coming back to the sixth scene or moment that I really, really enjoyed, the ending, the finale of the first film. So the last fight with the pencil guy or Vigo. This was a scene that interested me. This was a scene that sort of seems laughable if you think about it, like context wise, because if you remember, they're in the rain and they don't have any weapons. It's just like hand to hand combat. And Michael Nyquist was I think around the same age as Keanu Reeves, maybe a bit younger or older. So like they're two older, like middle-aged men who are just fighting, like punching each other and whatnot. And you just, I mean, one just wonders why isn't John Wick just getting out one of his many guns or a pencil or staple or anything and just killing Vigo? I mean, why does he have to go all out and like punch him in the face? Or get punched when he can just shoot him, right? So that can make one laugh. But I'm from the school of thought where I I believe that this was actually a good choice. Not just shooting pencil guy and just killing off Vigo just like that. Because I think Michael Nyquist was amazing in the sense that he got he brought such gravitas and just this like charm and personality to the character of Vigo, which could have been just like any other Russian mobster, that I didn't just want John Wick to just shoot him and then, I don't know, like have some dinner and leave, you know, and go about his day. <laughs> I wanted 
to like drag it out. And I think they dragged it out. But the thing, the actual reason for doing this, as I found out later on, was that they ran out of money. So they had a small budget to begin with anyways. And at the end of it, they sort of like used up most of it, I guess. So they didn't have chance to like create a more badass fight. So they just stuck with an old school, no weapons sort of in the rain fight sequence for the finale. And I actually liked it. So I have to include it as one of the things that I... And the funny thing about it is that, of course, the crew's going to suggest this, right? Because they're literally in a tent all warmed up and, and cozy while Keanu Reeves and Michael Nyquist have to suffer in the cold being like doused with water fighting each other. So like, I'm sure no one else had any complaints about it. So this is future MK leaving you guys a note on the second part of the episode. So this, what you're listening to or what you just listened to right now was only the first part. There's another part that has been recorded. It just needs a little bit of work for me to post it. It will be uploaded. I don't know when at this point and judging by my track record and it being forever since I uploaded, gonna be a little while, but it's almost ready. So this isn't the end of the episode, that's why it cuts off just randomly. There's a whole 30 minute or maybe even a little bit more than 30 minute second part coming up. So the proper ending to the episode will be in the second one, but just to give you a mini ending, thank you for listening to this first part and thank you for sticking around. It means a lot that you're listening to this right now and I can't wait for you to hear the second and final part of the Dominic series. I'll see you next time. I'll see you in the next part.